Our passage this morning is John chapter 14, the first uh, 14 verses. And so listen to the word of God this morning. John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, This is a really rich passage uh, with more than we can. Uh, cover in the time that we have this morning. I kind of want to go through it and just highlight four things. Uh, What Jesus says about the troubled heart, what he says about the Father's house, uh, what he says about this exclusive claim about being the way, and then briefly what he says about the greater works. Uh, So remember, at the end of chapter 13, uh, Jesus has announced that one of the 12 is a betrayer. Uh, He announced that he was going away and that they would be separated from his earthly presence. And he announced that Peter would deny him three times. So these are all hard and depressing realities. The world of the disciple seems to be falling apart. Uh, And I think we all know at this point what it's like to have our souls really troubled and distressed. Uh, by things that just seem to be piling up one on top of another. And Jesus responds by saying to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. And so if you're like me, when your heart is troubled and you hear Jesus say, don't let your heart be troubled, then your heart is even more troubled because you're thinking to yourself, Uh, Jesus is telling me not to do this thing that I keep doing, and I keep doing it, and I'm not obeying him. Uh, Yet what we've seen in the last few chapters is that Jesus' own heart was often troubled. 
Uh, in chapter 11, G- Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled before Lazarus's tomb. In chapter 12, Jesus said, now is my soul troubled as he contemplated his coming death. Uh, and in chapter 13, he was troubled in spirit when he testified that Judas would betray him. So when Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled, he says it as one who has been troubled. So he's not chiding us. He's not looking down on us. He's not condemning our weak faith. This is what people often think. Oh, if I'm troubled, you know, there must be something wrong with me or with my faith. Um, Jesus is not saying we will never be troubled. He's pointing us to a greater hope or purpose that should capture our hearts when we are troubled, which is why he then continues, believe in God, believe also in me. I think what he's saying is even the things that trouble you are connected to a larger work that God is doing. Uh, And that's true here in this passage. The disciples are troubled because it looks like Jesus is abandoning his disciples. He's going to go away. But the larger work uh, is that Jesus is returning to his father's house to prepare a place for them. Uh, And so let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, In chapter two, uh, Jesus called the temple his father's house. Here in chapter 14, he's clearly talking about what the temple pointed to, God's heavenly dwelling. Uh, And uh, when he says, uh, I am going to prepare a place for you in my father's house, uh, he uses this image of, you you know, this this great mansion with many rooms where we can all be together. Uh, We'd love to know more about this, uh, but really Jesus' emphasis is that his departure though troubling, is to prepare a place for his disciples. Uh, And I think it's important that we not misunderstand this language of, I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, He's not saying that once he gets there, he will prepare a place for them. Uh, As if Jesus is Martha Stewart, you know, sewing slip covers and hanging plates on walls to make things beautiful for our arrival. Uh, What Jesus is saying is that his returning to the Father, his being lifted up on the cross, which John calls the glorification, that itself is Jesus preparing a place for them. The redemptive journey from the cross to the grave to the skies is the way that Jesus prepares a place for his disciples in the Father's house. So there is no place being prepared if Jesus does not make this journey. Uh, And note the promise that Jesus uh, makes also in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, Uh, which is not exactly what we might expect to hear. We expect to hear, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to that place. 
But Jesus says, I will come and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You see, the thing that's really been troubling the disciples uh, is that Jesus is going away. Uh, And if being abandoned by Jesus is what troubles the disciples, then this is what should assure their hearts. His going away is necessary for them to be joined to him once and for all. Uh, And in verse four, Jesus says, you know the way that I'm going. Jesus has repeatedly told them about the way he must go. He's been talking over and over again about being lifted up, about being glorified, uh, uh, now about being betrayed. They ought to know that this is the way that Jesus is going. Uh, But Thomas does not understand this. And in verse five, Thomas says, "Uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Uh, Jesus You have not given us the address. Uh, We cannot stick this into Google Maps. We can't put it into Waze. Uh, Apple Maps, you know, rarely works anyways. But, you know, how can I Google it and get the route if you don't tell me where you are going? And so he asked Jesus, how can we know the way? And Jesus, in one of the most memorable verses in the Bible, says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so here is Thomas's misunderstanding. Thomas thinks that Jesus is leading the way. He doesn't grasp that Jesus is becoming the way. Uh, The way for Jesus is the cross. So that the way for Thomas and for us can be Jesus. And so Jesus does not say, I teach about the way. Jesus does not say, I embody a way. Jesus says, I am the way. Uh, And Jesus often speaks of himself as being a passageway. He says things like, I am the gate. Uh, He says, enter through the narrow door. Uh, And um, an early label for Christians was that they were followers of the way. Uh, And a way is a connection between two different places. So the verdict of the Bible is that we have been cast away because we have wandered away from God as the source of life. And of course, we are all looking for a way. Everyone, every person in the world is looking for a way back to life and meaning and purpose and tranquility. Uh, Really what all people want is a way, is a portal back to that relationship with God that we were created for. And on the night before the cross, Jesus is telling the disciples, that's what I am. That's what my death is. It will remove sin and impurity so that there can be a way to enter into the holy place. Uh, And in verse six, Jesus follows up this this claim, I am the way and the truth and the life uh, with the words, no one comes to the father except through me. Uh, and that, that's a very exclusive claim. 
sometimes it's called the scandal of particularity. Uh, there is a particular way. Uh, a lot of people struggle with this because in a world of uh, diversity and tolerance, uh, they wonder, isn't this offensive? Uh, it's at least it feels uh, out of fashion or off-putting. And so let me say two things about this exclusive claim, I am the way no one comes to the Father except by me. And the first thing I want to say about it is uh, it's good news. Uh, Jesus has a unique role in history that you and I do not. Uh, there are some things uh, that you and I cannot offer or cannot do or cannot be that only Jesus can offer and do and be. And what I mean by that is this. You cannot be the corridor for other people. Isn't that good news? You cannot be the way for other people. Uh, let's, let's just revel in this good news for a moment. You are not the way. Dave Klein is not the way. Your favorite pastor or theologian is not the way. Your parents or your children are not the way. Uh, those things might be good and helpful and encouraging. They are not the way, the truth, or the life. Uh, Jesus has a unique role in history to be the way. That's good news. Uh, but the second thing I want to say about this exclusive claim, this is going to sound this is going to sound wild, so let me explain it. The second thing I want to say about this exclusive claim is that it's actually something that, in a sense, everyone believes. Uh, everyone actually operates in their daily life in this way, according to this claim that Jesus makes. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, if you want to know what a person is thinking, what do you need to do? Uh, you need to ask them to talk to you and tell you what they are thinking. A person's words express their inaudible thoughts. Uh, and uh, words are something that are not different from the person. They are an expression of the person, and they give us access to a part of that person we wouldn't have apart from the expression of words. Uh, so here's, here's an example. It's not a great one, but it's still an example. Imagine Jill tells me something about herself that she wants me to know. Uh, she tells me, Dave, I really don't like it when you blast heavy metal music from your office. Uh, this is not a regular occurrence in our home, but still. Uh, Dave, I don't like it when you blast heavy metal music from your office. And then I respond by ignoring her words. I think I don't need her words. And I have actually decided that despite her words, Jill loves it when I blast heavy metal music up from my office. What would you say to me? You would probably say, hey, you know what? You can't do that. If you want to have a relationship with Jill, you have to listen to her words. You have to take her at her word. And if you don't listen to her words and take her at her words, you are just imposing on Jill who you want her to be rather than who she actually is. Uh, so remember John chapter one, Jesus is the word of God. 
Jesus is the explanation or exegesis of God. Uh, Philip, in verse 8 of our passage, asked Jesus, asked Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus, with this sadness in his voice, says, Philip, uh, don't you get it yet? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Uh, my words are his words. I am his word. I am the Father's authorized representative and spokesperson. Uh, so if we want to have a relationship with people, we have to attend to their words. We all know that. We all believe that. Uh, if we want to have a relationship with God, we have to have it through attending to his word, which is Jesus. Otherwise, we are just imposing on God who we want him to be. And we are saying, I don't have to listen to what God says because I know God better than his words. Uh, but we don't have a direct connection to God apart from his words. We don't have a direct connection that lets us bypass his words. What we have is how God has expressed himself to us in Jesus, who is his word. So I, I know, again, in a world of diversity and tolerance, it can feel like this is a very offensive, exclusive claim, and in some ways it is. Uh, but everyone wants to be taken at their word, uh, and so does God. <laughs> and God's word is Jesus. And so I think Jesus is just saying here by this exclusive claim, cling to me, uh, listen to the word that God has spoken, uh, and you will get to where you need to be, which is the Father's house. Uh, okay, so last thing from this passage, uh, briefly, uh, that at the end of this dialogue, um, well, actually, uh, let me say it this way. Uh, throughout this dialogue, uh, Jesus' disciples uh, are, are troubled because he's going away, uh, and uh, now Jesus says that his going away is essential to their mission. Uh, so it's not just that they should be comforted uh, because something is going to happen later where Jesus says, you know, I, I, will, I will bring you to where I am. Uh, it's important now that Jesus goes away. It's essential to their mission. So in verse 1, Jesus said, believe in me. In verse 11, Jesus says, believe I am in the Father. And in verse 12, Jesus makes a promise to those who believe. Uh, it's not just a promise for the apostles. Uh, I think it's also a promise for us as well. And Jesus says, whoever believes in him will do his works and even do greater works than he did. And so this is a really curious thing. A lot of the commentators, you know, and people sort of try and sort this out. What could this mean that, that we do greater works than Jesus does? I don't think Jesus is promising that we will top his best miracles. You know, um, Jesus fed 5,000, but we'll feed 10,000. Um, uh, you know, Jesus healed people of, of uh, you know, certain diseases. We'll heal them of of uh, even worse diseases. Uh, I don't think the greater works are greater just in the sense either that Jesus ministered in Palestine, uh, reaching thousands while the disciples are spread throughout the world and reach millions upon millions, though there's certainly some truth in that. Uh, 
three things uh, we can notice about these greater works when you're looking at uh, verses 12 to 14. The first is, note that these greater works happen by virtue of Jesus going away. Uh, He says we'll do greater works because he is going to the Father. That's the end of verse 12. Uh, Second, note that these greater works happen through prayer. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Uh, And notice then third, that ultimately they are not really works that we do. They are works that Jesus does. He says, I will do it that my father will be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So he says that two times. Uh, The greater works are actually things that he does. Uh, So I think that the greater works are greater in the sense uh, that the risen Christ is now working through his people in a way that the earthly Christ was not. Uh, And the risen Christ will do greater works through praying disciples. Uh, And really, this is what the book of Acts is all about. Uh, So we don't have time to get into it now. uh, But Acts begin with Luke saying, uh, you know, in volume one, I recorded all that Jesus began to do and teach, uh, which really means that volume two, the book of Acts, is what Jesus continues to do and teach. Uh, We often call the book the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but really it is the Acts of the Risen Christ through the Apostles and through the church. Uh, So many of the things that happen in Acts happen as the disciples are all of one accord praying. Uh, And so you see, when your heart is troubled, the answer is not just to believe, oh, I believe that one day Jesus is going to come and take me to the Father's house, which is a beautiful truth. Uh, But when your heart is troubled, the answer is also to engage in the work that God wants us to do, to gather, to pray, and to work as the Lord's kingdom representatives. And I think that Jesus is encouraging us in on some level uh, to ask him as the church Uh, We should ask him for things and then to go out in faith as his agents and watch him do things that will glorify the Father. Uh, That's kind of what Jesus is describing uh, in these last sets of verses. Uh, So just to wrap it all up then, uh, Jesus is still offering comfort to troubled disciples. Uh, Trust in him. He has gone to prepare a place for you. Uh, By the cross, he has become the way to the Father's house, Uh, and he will not only bring us there to be with him where he is, uh, he is working through us right now, Uh, and so we should seek him, uh, and we should live as his agents and his representatives in the world. Uh, Let's pray together this morning.